episode number 50, Dana Osborne. Welcome back to the Title Block, a podcast about Canadian theatre designers, their history, and their craft. I am, as usual, your host, Michael Cruz, and this time I have an interview with set and costume designer Dana Osborne, recorded in July of 2018 in Niagara-on-the-Lake at the Shaw Festival. Dana is charming and talented, and it was so great to catch up with her this summer. She and I talk about her early wardrobe career at a few of the greatest shops in Canada and go on to talk about buying, her transition to set design, and her work over the past 20 years. Now, I have finalized my trip to Vancouver coming this December, and I'll be interviewing Mary Kerr, Susan Benson, and Michael Whitfield over on the island, and Robert Sondergaard, Mara Gottler, Robert Gardner, Scott Miller, uh, who's a theater consultant based in Vancouver, just so many great designers. I still have a few slots left, so there will be a bunch of interviews from the West Coast to share with the rest of the country come the new year. And as I mentioned on the last Bellows episode, those who subscribe through Patreon are starting to get some special content not available publicly. If you want to hear what lighting designer Michelle Ramsey has been up to since we first chatted in 2014, you'll have to become a patron and throw the show some bucks. And now my interview with set and costume designer Dana Osborne. Originally from a small town on Vancouver Island, set and costume designer Dana Osborne has forged a career starting from the top and rolling across Canada. (laughs) Dana joins me from the library at the Shaw Festival in July of 2018. Dana, welcome to the title block. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here. Awesome. I'm nervous. I'm nervous, but that's okay. Nothing to be nervous. We've been talking for like a half an hour already, so there should be no nerves. But I understand if you are. You can just relax. It's fine. So you started, uh, tell me about the small town of Vancouver Island. You were born in Duncan? I was born in Duncan, BC. Where the hell is Duncan? Yeah, it's like an hour north from Victoria. So if you're like going up the Malahat, there is a Couchin Valley. Mm-hmm. And it's in the Couchin Valley. It's on the highway. It's called the City of Totems. It has the world's largest hockey stick that lights up at night. Um, but I grew up there. I was born and raised there. Uh, my father had a real estate company. And... Uh, we moved 14 times in that small little town. Um, That's remarkable. Yeah. Were you up at night because of the light from the hockey stick? No, no. Oh, it did not God. give me the glare. Thank God. But it was like a real town full of, uh, we used to call them jocks jocks and shrubs. I guess they called skids here, but it was like, you know, that was sort of the culture. And I ended up going to the private, the, the girls' private school there. So I was like in this whole other side world of that as well. But yeah. Uh, and then you ended up at, somehow, at York University yeah. in Toronto. I had an art teacher uh, for grade 11 and 12 who was from Ontario and was like, you know, if you're going to do theater, you should go to York. And so they had auditions in Vancouver. I remember going over and doing that. And it was a joint audition with them and UBC. And uh, I got into those, both of those, but York offered a scholarship. And I was just desperate to get away from Duncan. I really wanted to go elsewhere. You and so. uh, Michelle Ramsey have a very similar story. We do. Like, go! Yeah. Just go! Yeah. Run! 
Yeah. Hilarious. And she was one year behind you. Yeah, I think so. York. Yeah, because I, I got mono on one oh. crew and she had to take over for me. I was like, I'm so sorry. I should stop making out. Anyway. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, as not a doctor, I don't think you have to worry about it. <laughs> yeah. um, so uh, this was in the early 90s. Yeah. Graduated York in 96. Yeah. Uh, did you know that you wanted to be a designer when you went to York? No. When I went to York, I was going to be an actress. I was going to be an actress or an actor. Uh, and I quickly realized, uh, I think, again, I was 18 and I had been sort of sheltered in in my little life. So I feel university was about growing up as a person and not necessarily about the whole theater experience. Um, so when I got there, but I, I had seen all the other parts. I didn't want to go home. I didn't want to be a failure in my book at that point. Too scared to fail. Um, but I wanted to do something that was still hands-on in theater. So I switched to, I got into the production core. I mean, the only good grade I really got that year was on the design project, (laughs) which was kind of funny. And I went into the production and then in the third and fourth year you switched into design and I offer, I applied for that and got into that and so by the end of it it seemed to be what was fitting I don't think I really understood what it what you know what design is in the big scheme you just sort of idealize it and go off you go and and figure it out but I you know I wanted to I wanted to be hands-on so so that's it, I, I am realizing something I did not realize when I went through the first time the first time university so many years ago, uh, was that you are not really, I mean, the, the, the job of the, of, of theater school is not to make you turn you into a designer. It's to sort of give you a bunch of skills. Yeah. So then you can go out and apprentice. Totally. It's just like a, like a little thin layer. Mm -hmm. And I think if you can get through that, I think the other thing too is, um, it's, it's not an easy life. It's, it's a really difficult thing to maintain. I even look at my class and I had a, you know, a pretty strong class of eight people. And I think I'm the only one left designing. There are still a few that work in theater, but they're not, they're not doing it anymore. So, uh, and again, I don't really know how I made all the way, just the way things go. Um, but it is just that thin layer and then you have to go out and, and do it. You just have to, and I, again, being at York, you weren't at Ryerson. You weren't at Toronto. So you weren't getting into the in- independent wow. scene either as much as it was down there. So I still ha- there was still a big hurdle into getting into the Toronto scene, which I never really got into. I sort of was sort of the dork on the side that kind of was like, can I go to some other place? Anyway. Yeah, it is not unusual. That's not an unusual story. I feel like uh, people coming from... I mean, this is usually a story told by people coming from, you know, Edmonton or Vancouver or yeah. Halifax or Montreal, or whatever, come to Toronto and go, how do I break into this weird clique? Mm-hmm. But even from York, right? When you're totally. not working downtown in the independent theater, um, you still have those same kind of problems. Yeah. Now, did you, uh, do you, do you remember who was in your cohort at uh, York? Like, at York, yeah. yeah. Like, uh, well, Jason Bendig, who's the, now the head of wardrobe here, oh. was in my class. Um, Mario Moreira. Mm-hmm was behind me and I think he does uh he does film now. Mm-hmm. Dieter Schurig, who oh. designed for a while and now he is an environmental designer. Mm-hmm. Carla Falconbridge, no idea. Amy Cummings, who is at the COC in props. And props, yeah. yeah. I worked with Amy at Blythe. Um and then in front of me was Allison Sharp, I want to say, and she designs 
Ikea rooms, which I was like, oh, that is the best job. <laughs> that sounds like a great job. I want that job. I know. And I think, and there was one other woman, Cassandra, and I don't think she's in theater at all anymore. Yeah. yeah. It is kind of the story. Eh? You look like beside you and look beside yeah. you and you're like, well, you're going to be the only one who's left. Totally. It's interesting. Okay. So what did you do after you left? You went into... Uh, I, you know, during the summers, I started to work at Wonderland. Um, one of my best friends was Megan Callan and she worked there and, you know, so we got into that groove. So I did like three summers there and then I, uh, I don't know how I got into the cruise ship thing, but I was like, I'm going to apply for a cruise ship. I think because Peter McBoyle was doing cruise ships or something. So I applied and they, they took me and I, so I left like in October, I think it was snowing as I got to the airport and I came back in April and I was just the wardrobe person, the one wardrobe person on the ship. It was a, maybe a cast of 12, um, for Norwegian cruise lines. It was redonkulous. Like I, uh, it was crazy. You were, I maybe worked, I don't know, 25 hours a week. They're paying me $400 U.S. cash. I drank a lot and, and had lots of fun. And it was just, it was actually probably the right thing in the sense of uh, the big release from the pressures of school. It was just insanity. And also, I realized how much I sort of loved the Caribbean. Um, so I did that and I was like, I'm going to go back. I'm going to do this. I'm going to go back. And then everyone went back. <laughs> uh, and so I came back and went back to Wonderland. And then, uh, they, then there was, I was trying to get in at the COC because I think Jason was working there and he was like, you should try, you know, come. And I apprenticed for three weeks and it was a Michael Levine, uh, opera, the one with the hill. I'm trying to remember which that was. Anyway, no, it wasn't Regaletto. It wasn't Regaletto. No. It was like the naked bodies. Everyone was wearing. Um, oh, remember that one? I remember the photo yes. from it, but I had and no it idea was, what that uh, was. Yeah, I can look it up. I'll do an image. Yeah, and, and then there was. The uh, um, anyway, and so all the uh, everyone had to be in dance belts, whether they were topless or whatever it was, and I had to work on that. And my, one of my jobs was to make sure that the male supers put their dance belts on right. right. And I remember like being downstairs and being like, uh, you have go, I'm sorry. Can you go back and turn it around? You have it on backwards. And so, you know, put their diapers back on. And okay. <laughs> so I, that was that job. And then they brought me back to make some chicken feet with Jeff Churchill, who is now like one of the best bootmakers in the universe okay you have to describe what the chicken feet oh chicken for. feet they were for cunning little vixens and we had to make chicken feet so i just remember sitting there making chicken feet and i guess at that time they were looking for an assistant head of wardrobe at shaw and sharon secord had called carol holland who was running coc and she said you should interview this person and so carol came up and said by the way you're going to shaw to have an interview this is the plan and and uh I had to rent a car, or did I borrow a car? Maybe I borrowed Jason's car. Came down, knew that I got the job, like crying on the way back because I was like, oh, I have to move to Niagara. <laughs> <laughs> but again, yeah. So then that was, uh, I was the assistant head of wardrobe while you were here from, I was here in 98, 99. Right. And I was here in 97 to 99. So yeah, yeah that makes sense. It was great years, great oh God, stuff. So much. Fun. I mean, it's always Shaw's great, yeah. but like it was really fun. It was Newton. It was, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it was crazy, and what a beautiful place to be. It really is. I'm, yeah. I'm like as much as the tourists become a bit tedious oh. downtown. Yeah. The amount of history uh, in Niagara Lake and the surrounding Queenston, Lewiston, all those things like like that is remarkable and the forts that are plopped in the golf course and things like that mm-hmm. um i always found a remarkable place to be and yeah. plus not only that but you're in this 
we work in so much isolation most of the time. You know, even in indie theater, if you're working with actors, you're still working just within that one show, and you never yeah. get to see anybody else. But you come down here, it's a giant company of people to, to hang totally. out with. And right? it was a real, there was a, a feeling of family in a way that I, because even when I left, they gave me like this huge gift certificate, and it was sort of from like all the company mm-hmm. too, which was it was so thoughtful. And I remember just being so touched by mm-hmm. these people trying to you know, help me with the rest of my life, and you know, people moving me up to Toronto and stuff like that. So it was, it was. I found the winters hard here when there was nothing going on. It was great when the shows were on and you were in it, and it was such a fantastic place to learn about rep theater. Yeah. And to read plays I hadn't read before. I remember getting the stack of plays and just these things I had not known. Uh, it was really exciting. And I think absolutely like a huge foundation. In, in, and then I, it was also, they didn't have assistant designers that did costume. So as the assistant, whatever I was, head of wardrobe, you ended up doing all those little jobs sort of with these designers. And I was getting like Sue LePage and Charlotte Dean and all these fantastic people that... Uh, was oh, it was just dynamite, yeah. Yeah, that's remarkable. Um, great. And so, how long were you here for? Uh, sort of, I think like eighteen months. I think, or it was like a year and two seasons two essentially. Seasons. But I left in September. I got a phone call, um, uh, from uh, uh, Brenda Clark, who was going to start the Lion King, and she was trying to build a coordinating team for that. And she was like, "Do you want to come and do this?" and and I was ready. I, I wanted to get back to the city, and this was huge. So I left in September and started on The Lion King and Mamma Mia and stayed with the Mervishes at Seamless Costumes for, I think, two years, something like that, a year and a half. Is that shop still open? No, they closed it. Well, they closed it and then sold it to um, Kelly. Her last name is going to um Anyway, uh, someone who had worked there as the manager bought the sh- shop, and so has brought it up, but it's not under the Mervish umbrella anymore. Uh, okay. Yeah. That's a that's a that's a big build, Lion King, and I mean, Mamma Mia is pretty conventional, but Lion King. Lion King was huge, build. and I yeah. and you know, and I think the and that was two thousand or whatever it was, and I think the budget was still around like one point two million for the costumes alone. So it was it was in the million dollar range, and it was. A lot of artists, um, artists from Stratford, artists around Toronto. There was a lot of coordinating, a lot of dying things that I had never experienced before. Twelve Bibles coming up. Bibles are the costume Bibles that have all the information and the dice um, things. It was it was so great, but insane. Like he worked like a mad person. Uh, can you remember any interesting things you had to build that were like especially um, tricky or? Yeah, all of it was tricky. I think things that stuck with me were some of the hand beading that was being done and the patterns and, and also looking at different materials to become beautiful artistic costume things like a lot of uh, going to all the flower, um, the fake flower markets and, and those would all turn into these headpieces and all the different types of dyeing that we were doing. Um, uh, also there was things like technical harnesses inside of costumes that are interesting and how that's all being held up. Um, uh, at one point when the hyenas were, it is a, a stressful hyena costume on the on the body in that sort of front position. So I ended up spending a lot of time 
um, going to the chiropractor sometimes with the artist just to be the wardrobe person that was there if there was anything we could do to modify the pitch of the costume or so um, it was kind of everything in a way like I even I had to call the alarm company to set up the alarm on the building like weird things I had never done before and the Mervishes did not give you credit cards they gave you cash so once I had to go downtown and pick up $18,000 in cash oh my God. At, and bring it back to the the shop and hide it in my fridge, like something really bizarre. So like this huge, you know, things I, you just, you don't encounter anymore. That is so strange. <laughs> yeah. Like just give them a credit card. You can check out with the bank. What happened? They have to work in cash. Yeah. I remember like opening, I was in a little cro- you know, cockroach infested apartment, sure. one room and I would just open my little box and take out a couple thousand dollars and then go to work and go, go to Holtz. For, shopping for beach. Shopping eh? for stuff for Mama Mia. That's funny. Very strange. Um, the uh, I remember I find it remarkable that Lion something like the Lion King, which was such a huge hit um, in New York, ran forever and played in the still West. Running, isn't still it? running, still yeah. still running in New York. Yeah, uh, ran like there's a there's a, there was a tour. I'm sure there was a mm-hmm. tour. There was a West End production that's yeah. played like all over the world. Yeah, um, was Toronto? I feel like Toronto was one of the first productions outside of New York. I, f- I feel like it was too, and there was something that happened in them working with those Toronto artists that there's a bunch of those Toronto people that do all the stuff now. Like I know Monica Vianney does a lot of the hats and Leslie Norgate, they still have sort of artistic control of, or, you know, they're still the ones they go to for the price point and everything and, and then replicating them. Yeah. I find like, like you'd think that they would go, we built the show. All right, New York, where's the shop? I want the same thing again. Yeah. But, but you know what? The dollar. Remember the dollar, yeah. oh, right? That's right. Yeah. So doing it in Canada was was a good thing for them. Yeah. Um, and I think that probably still plays into a lot of yeah. of what it is. So Yeah, that's a very good point. Um, yeah, I remember working on The Lion King at um, Edge, and, Edge and Co. It wasn't Edge and Bratton at the time. It was still Edge. Oh, right, 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 right. Because they had built it. It was a nightmare. Like, like all the mechanicals oh. were all like e-switches. And I was working in the electrical department. We were... They were so desperate for people. I was like, hi, can you solder? Uh, sure. <laughs> Tomorrow, 8 o'clock, show up at the shop. You're going to solder something. Like, okay, here's a, here's, a, here's a digital control unit. Can you just put, here's how it goes together. Just solder that home. Like, oh, my God. Like, people's safety. Yeah. So I was putting together relays and soldering power supplies for some ridiculous show. Uh, but it was madness. madness. It was absolute madness. They were building three or four different Broadway shows in that oh. same shop. Uh, the paint shop was in the same building as the welding shop. I suggest not doing that for those of you who want to plan. Yeah, especially when someone reverses the fans on the oh. exhaust system. Bad yeah. idea. Yeah. yeah, it was a, it was just chaos. Wow. Chaos. Um, but a beautiful show. And beautiful show. Remarkable. I think we, I remember when the first, like, you know, part of the, you know, it, but I remember it's all like the whole wardrobe just started yeah. crying. And it could have been exhaustion, but we were all like, oh my gosh. But it was it was pretty amazing, yeah. you know. Remarkable. Uh, and so you worked there through, through that and Mamma Mia. Yep. And then I, I again I was getting burnt out. It, it was pretty intense. I'd lost like ten pounds and, and seriously had an eye twitch. Like I was like, la, 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 la. and I actually at one point was like, should I go back into? Maybe I should go back to school and go, try acting. And I remember like booking uh, like a 
an audition for Studio 58 and then getting there and being like, N- what am I thinking? Like just leaving like, no, you just need to be creative. I think that was it. I was always striving to do something creative. And so Jeff Churchill, who I used to make chicken feet with, mm-hmm. was at Stratford as an assistant designer. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you should really apply for this program. Mm-hmm. And um, so I did. I didn't tell my bosses. Mm-hmm. And I forgot that everyone in theater knows everyone. So, of course, they called Brenda, who got really angry with me because um, I didn't tell her. But, uh, but then Stratford, it, it was as a costume assistant for the next season, and they hired me. So I... Took that. The thing was about that too is going making that choice. It I was taking a forty five percent pay cut oh, wow. to go and work at at um, Stratford. So I had to, I had to be ready for that. And but I think I, I emotionally and physically I was ready for a big change and a different option. That's interesting. I remember at the at the show when I first got hired as an assistant lighting designer for the. Uh, oh my goodness! What's it called? The Oh, and the fridge. I know. The There's fridge is having a dance now. Full of wine here for a, very, <laughs> for Stephen, for a VIP. For Stephen Fry's. For Stephen Fry's wine fridge. It's going off in the background. Um, I think my take home every week after I paid for a comms mm-hmm. was $78 yeah, a like, week. I remember even yeah. the COC, I was making 400 a week, I think, then too. And that was... 97 or something 96 and you're like trying to be like i could eat this block of cheese right. and have four freezies and that shouldn't care you know like <laughs> it was pretty dire yeah. and i wasn't i'm not a cook so i was like oh, eat yeah. a can of tuna have a nap uh, i don't know yeah right? exactly what do you do right yeah. no i know i mean you could the, the advantage is you're in one place you're not traveling around yeah you're not eating in restaurants all day but it's still yeah, it is. It was a struggle. Everything is. Everything's gone. I think that um, at least down here, Kevin Lamont has worked really hard to get the assistants paid yeah. more money. Maybe not what they're worth, but no one ever gets paid what they're worth. Uh, and it certainly is a better place no. to work. So, and I think uh, you know, I'm. We're all trying to talk openly about what we're getting paid these days too. So, like when I started Stratford, and that was 2001, I think, uh, or 2000, 2001. I, I think I was making six twenty five, mm-hmm. and I had to fight for that extra 25 bucks. Mm-hmm. I had to pretend that someone else was getting, I don't know what I said to Lemke at the time, Doug Lemke, right. but I got the extra 25 bucks because otherwise I would have had to suck it. And I was like, no, I have to. Mm-hmm. And I think the Mervishes then, they were paying too much. They were paying like 1200 bucks. Mm-hmm. So it was just crazy. Like yeah. it was, yeah. That's nuts. And then that season in 2001, um, you were with... Michael G. Francesco? Yep. Michael yeah. G. was there and Lorenzo. It was Lorenzo. all our first year. Sounds great. Uh, April Visco was there too. Uh, and I was assisting Francesca Callo on uh, Twelfth Night. It was my first. And halfway through that, they were like, do you want to stay for the summer and do set and costume props with um, and assist Peter Hartwell? Mm-hmm. And that was on Good Mother. Right. Yeah. So it was a really big, fun year, yeah. you know. And now I have to, now the pressure's on for me to, uh, to, um, interview April. Cause that'll be all four. Oh yeah. That I'll have interviewed. <laughs> <laughs> and that's this very special year. It's yeah. for 2001. It was, it was kind of fantastic. Yeah. Uh, Kat Kahubacek, who is a Montreal, I think she's a Montreal designer. I think she's still doing that. And Aaron Felker. Yeah. It was a really great group of people. Uh, I remember like it was just Lorenzo was the only person there on the first day. Mm-hmm. And like sitting down and now, I mean, we're essentially brother and sister. So, uh, yeah, 
I'm feel really lucky. Right time, right, right place, right time. That's awesome. So now you had got hired there as an assistant. Uh, you ended up designing there uh, shortly thereafter, a couple of years later. Yeah, I think I think 2003 maybe it was Agamemnon. And was that your first costume design? Uh, uh, first, um, I did an independent show with with Daryl Clorin in Theater Front, um, maybe 2001, which was Mojo. And that was a costume design there. And then I may have done Theater by the Bay, Romeo and Juliet or something. But yeah, it sort of was just a couple little things. And then suddenly I was doing a Stratford studio show. Right. Now, um, uh, so it was, it was, it was, you know, I'm sure it was surprising to people, but I think it was in the studio. They were trying to um, be innovative and maybe use younger designers and stuff like that. It was the second year of the studio, so I didn't I didn't get to do it in the first year, and I was of course like I want to design, um, and Agamemnon was a was a great choice for me. It had to be mostly created from stock pieces with a few builds, and I had already established such a great relationship with the wardrobe that um, who are fantastic there that they were very supportive, and I could really create and, and grow. So I really enjoyed that show. Remarkable. I was uh, I was offered the year before, the first year of the studio, I was oh, offered to yeah. come down and work with Rob Thompson and um, Erica Hassel mm-hmm. uh, and be the sort of third LD in the space. I turned it down, which is the only thing I ever regret <laughs> doing in my life. What did you do instead? I tried to keep my marriage together, oh, which was unsuccessful. Okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it was not a very good choice for me. But um, I was also, that was only a couple years before I transitioned out of the business. So yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. a big deal. But I'm like, that would have been my end to Stratford. Yeah, like, exactly. And that studio, that's what it should be, right? That studio space was built for that, right? Yeah, it was. Because, um, yeah, my first year there, it was still the paint shop and the scene shop. So. It was, it was great. It was really great. And then, so then again, I was being paired with Lorenzo on that show. And so we got paired oh. together for the next year to do the time in of Athens, which was sort of for us, the sort of the breakout show for us there. And, and, uh, what was the, I guess you guys did so, just so, did so well. On Ag- Ag- I Ag- think Ag- so. Ag- I mean, right? I can't say it was anything. I, it, again, it was Stephen Womet directing it. Yeah. So again, one of the best, um, theater artists in Canada who had a very clear vision of what it was. Mm-hmm. And Lorenzo and I were crazy and young enough that we were, would try and push the, the, the concept on it a little bit here and there. It's, it's still, it's funny cause I just did time in Athens again, not last season, the season before um, they wanted to bring it back. And it, and again, Pete Donaldson, rest his soul. We've, we had jo- Joe Ziegler playing the part, but, um, so much has changed in those 12 years mm-hmm. and the sense that we didn't have social media. We didn't have, you know, we didn't, we just had sort of flip phones. Yeah. Uh, there was no Instagram and other thing. So it plays so differently now than it did then, but it was doing the modern concept and, and Stephen had very clear ideas and a fantastic cast. Like it was Peter Donaldson. I love him. And, uh, Tom McCamus and just fantastic people. That's remarkable. And so when I described you as sort of starting from the top, this is what we're talking about. You never really did the indie circuit in Toronto yeah, and sort of. 27 French festivals. and No, and, 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 I, and I, again, I feel guilty and shitty about it. Like it's you sort of have that reverse shame that you're not, you haven't, you know, done enough of that. Uh, but s- somehow that seems to just be how it worked for me. So in a way, people 
in Toronto, still, there's lots of people who still I've never met or they don't know who I am and that's just how it is. Um, and so I sort of had to fight myself back into doing Toronto stuff. And even when I get to do Toronto stuff, there's a lot, not a lot of time people can hire me for the, I, there was certainly, uh, Ken did hire me for factory a bunch of times, but I, I've never done a Tarragon show and I've never done a can stage show I don't think like unless it's a co-pro but soul pepper certainly hired me in YPT and and that kind of stuff it's also nowadays now that I live in Stratford do they want to pay for me to stay right and it's that negotiation and sometimes I just sleep on a couch and do the show because I really want to do the show especially when it comes to YPT because I just think those shows are so important um uh but yeah it's it's all in that sort of weird world world mm-hmm Fantastic. And how did you feel about the, it seems like such a natural progression out of the wardrobe and into the A designer's side. chair. Yeah. yeah. Like I, uh, yeah. Or yeah. Who knows? Like maybe I was, um, maybe I sort of pushed the envelope, but it, I, I think as a person, I, I'm very observant. Um, I learn I learn by being in the room and in the moment um, I have great respect for um, the body or what the actors need in their in their in their process, mm-hmm. um, and then trusting the artistry of the people in the wardrobe because really, uh, you when my whole thing is that design is an ensemble art, especially costume design because you can draw it, you can do whatever, but. It's, it's your cutter and your tailor translating it to the next step. And every single person who touches it is going to make it different. So you really are just the force that's just encouraging everyone to take a little bit of artistic ownership and to get it where you want to go. And if everyone does that and has uh, feels something of the process, it will be 100 times better, especially when you get in the room. Because the only thing you're working towards is that moment where you have it all together and the actors looks and it makes sense with what they're doing. So it's, um, it's, I think that flexibility is the most important part, um, to get it there. So for, for, for me, yes, wardrobe was easy. It's also, uh, I don't, I don't want to say it was a, uh, it was a feminine domain, but it was a lot of women. I had spent a lot of time in a girl's school. I sort of got that. I understood how all that worked. I felt comfortable in it. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I, I, I love it. Like I love the wardrobes. They're just so amazing and the people are great. You've, uh, so you've been working with some kind of incredible shops, like the top talent in the country, if not among the best in the world. Um, here at Shaw and Stratford and Mervish, um, and, uh, COC, um, you're, I mean, even the, the the wardrobe at Soul Pepper, like the places that you're working, have pretty high quality yeah, talent, do. right? Yeah. Um, do you ever have to? Uh, I wonder if, because this is a collective, um, a collective endeavor, uh, do you have to um, either accept or alter your expectation based on the talent of the people working on the costume? Like, if yeah. you don't have, there's an extraordinary. Is, is it Vincenzo? Who's Vincenzo was a tailor here. He's yeah. not here anymore, but yes. Like uh, Vincenzo you, you work was, with Vincenzo yeah. and you can make certain choices. Yeah. You work with somebody else and you may not be able to make the same choices. Yeah. So how does that yeah. affect your... I think a lot of it too is as you be, 
as you grow as a costume designer, it's also being aware of what that fabric can do. Because mm-hmm. a lot of time um, when you're younger, you're gravitating towards something because of the color or, and you're not actually thinking about what that fabric is going to want to do. Right. And so some of that is learning those tricks. Um, and I think if I'm working at a wardrobe where I'm not quite sure that's going to be something they want to do or, or they can do, sometimes I will try and modify the design and rent some of it and then they can modify it. So there's still, I don't want to make anyone feel, um, that they're not ready for the project, but I want to make sure that we're all on the same page. And yes, you get to some stuff where you're like, okay, this is totally not working and let's start from scratch. And, um, yeah. So, but it, yeah, you certainly have to think about what you're getting into. I think it's responsible and it's um, proactive. Uh, And do you ever feel the urge because you had such a strong, uh, strong base of training to sort of step in and go just like I can do this oh my god no because I'm actually a terrible sewer (laughs) I mean do not ask me to put a zipper in because I will make it velcro like I just I am I'm okay under duress like but not ever to the level of these sometimes I say to them like they're running out of time I'm like what can I do so they'll tell me what to do and I'll and I'll be a junior sewer right like I can do that I can do labels and snaps but when it gets to the real things yeah you don't want me doing that you're there to make decisions (laughs) and choices sure yeah excellent um forgive me if I'm wrong but I remember the Sarajevo project being a pretty big deal in 2006 Mm -hmm. I think it was um it was again they had gone over there and they had um uh, created the show with some of the artists that were in from uh, Sarajevo. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but for me, it wasn't a huge thing for me because it was just sort of modern clothing, not oh. to say anything about negative about modern clothing, but there is, there gets to a point where you can only do so much in, in the creation. And also when you're doing a show in modern, the actor knows that vocabulary. Mm-hmm. So they're, you really end up having a lot more conversations with them of what they're what because they have a very clear idea of what they think the character is. So that is certainly a skill that you need to to work on because most modern shows require that. But um, but and it can be really tough because you shop your guts out. You're just shopping and shopping and shopping some more. And just to to wrap that up, that was a, a Daryl Cloran, another Daryl Cloran piece by theater friend um the uh, that's an interesting question though how what are kind of tips do you have to people for people who are trying to negotiate what your vision is and what the actor's vision is because this is a very personal thing to them but you also yeah. have to think about the whole picture and and the set and, yeah, and all uh, that stuff look. i think sometimes um it's just letting them be heard mm-hmm. right um it's also um having your research and where, where you started with it um, also including the director, because it's not only you. The director has to either be supporting you in this decision or or not. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think when you're in a fitting room, too, with an actor and they put some clothes on, usually their hands will go to the place they're not happy. So if you sort of just, you're sort of letting them stand in the moment and just pay attention to what's happening. Mm-hmm. And just simply asking them, like, do you want me to do something here? Are you having a thing? And... Uh, and you can get the conversation going because ideally having, getting them on your side, I, I feel it works for me is, 
going to make the whole process be so much smoother and they will be appreciative, you know, when they get there. Um, uh, some actors hate clothes. Some actors hate to shop. Some actors don't like to look in the mirror. So then you have them facing you the whole time and they are, they're not aware. So it doesn't actually feed into their creative process. So you just have to adapt. That's, I never thought an actor would share my fear of looking in mirrors. That's interesting. Yeah, there's, like, there's one in particular that will not. And I, so we just set up the room that everything is the other way. And, and I know him well enough that I just do it. And, that's a, or, I, or I sometimes do close fittings where there's no one else but me and the actor. Sure. So um, certainly with Amanda Plummer, she needed a closed room. There's some people like that that mm-hmm. you end up sitting in a in a room on a Saturday pulling on fabric and things like that. Well, I mean, it, it's not that surprising. In, like in the end, when you think about how vulnerable mm-hmm. actors are on stage, yeah. right? And, uh, and how vulnerable they need to be. So that can be a, a, quite a high anxiety experience, yeah. I imagine. I think what the, the moments I don't like is when an actor tries to tell the tailor or the cutter what it what's wrong with like in the sense of I think this shape is wrong or whatever then it then you know then the power balance is off in the room it needs to be and I've there's been a couple like you know a couple moments like that but usually it's it's pretty smooth interesting uh I mean for as many years as I've been in theater the whole fitting the idea of a fitting is quite alien to me yeah which which I feel bad about. I feel like I should have gotten more experience to that exposure well, to that when I was in. Under, yeah, like I mean, and sometimes or, you're doing a, a fitting in a bathroom, public bathroom somewhere, right. right? But when it's a real fitting room, I think another thing too is, and I've mentioned this to a couple younger designers, is also like if the fitting is going south, and some someone's going to start saying things that are offensive, or just leave. Like you can just leave, and the fitting is done. Right. You know, that's that's how you go before something gets thrown at you or words. Right. Just leave. Just leave. So, yeah. Nice. That's a good, <laughs> that's a good tip. A pro tip. Yeah. Um, so the first musical you, uh, we'll get to your, your, your set and your set stuff as well, because um, in, very soon after there, uh, in 2006, you were working on set design as well. Yeah. Trying to. It's, yeah. Um, again, I find in the Canadian theater model, uh, doing set and costume is sort of the only way to survive um, financially. And I'm also, you, as as a costume designer, it got to a point where I was like, I, 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 I can do this. You know, and I really, when I was in, in school, I did sets. I really didn't do costumes. So, um, and having my, my parents be into real estate, I spent a lot of time on a building site and, and, and I think I have some spatial awareness. So, I was ready to, for a more challenge to be challenged and 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 have that sort of control. Did you do any uh, set um, uh, assisting at Stratford, or was it just was, yes, you know, I did. You did. Um, yeah, again, uh, at that stage of the game, you were doing little drafting. Most of the drafting was done. Mm-hmm. So, in but yes, I sort of did one for Cameron Porteous and for um, Ann Curtis and mm-hmm. um, Peter that year. It's the model building, that kind of stuff, yeah. Um, how was working with Cameron? Good. It was good. It it, it was uh, it was a big Manette musical, so oh, a bit different okay. for him. Yeah, I think. Um, and I had not. I'm not sure if it was his first Stratford show, so it was getting used to the big thing. So I think it was 
successful. It's not the easiest musical to do, Gigi, you know? Oh, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> not sure when anyone's going to do Gigi for a long time. Uh, <laughs> That's a great thing. I'll have to but, look back at that. That's interesting. Yeah. I'm sorry I didn't see it now. Yeah, yeah. I was kind of busy. Um, that's yeah. That's that's fascinating. All right. Um, what else we have on here? Um, I'm looking uh, for those of you who are not uh, can't see through the microphone. I'm looking <laughs> at uh, Dana's uh, CV. Um, Soul Pepper. Yeah. Um, what was your end to Soul Pepper? Was that just a natural evolution or do you work from Stratford and Shaw? I mean, it uh, seems like you know what? It's terribly. My, my best friend, Claire Sakaki was a producer there and I think she introduced me to them. And, and I think actually the first show I did was with Albert and, and Lorenzo right. again, I just follow Lorenzo around really. Yeah, why not? And, uh, yeah. And then it, um, and then I started working with Morris and Ken mm-hmm. there and then onwards from that. That's great. Have you done a bunch of Morris and Ken shows? I have done yeah. a few, yeah. What, what's uh, your... Mostly because Ken hates doing <laughs> costumes. costumes. I know. <laughs> we had a conversation about that last year. Yeah. Um, and, and how do you fit into that... Uh, that uh, it's usually Dynamic? Alan, yeah, yeah. dynamic. It's, usually it's pretty Brody, good. Right? I mean, I think you... Uh, also with them, I, I totally, absolutely understand that Ken will be the production designer, yeah. sort of more in that way. Um, and to listen to him and take his notes and, and that kind of stuff. And I understand their aesthetic. And um, I I ended up meeting them because Charlotte was doing something for them at Soul Pepper and she had to go off to another show. So I did just the tech period. Mm-hmm. And um, and we had a few tech explosions on that. And I think I just behaved well enough. And Morris and Ken had hired me by then to do Moby Dick with them at oh, the right. studio, right? Yeah. So, um, so then we had a really wonderful... Uh, ensemble collaborative experience. It was really one of those shows that I hadn't really had an opportunity to do where you were in the rehearsal room every single day. And it, it the budget was so small. So we were really thinking in, um, in creative ways to try and make this happen. It was the, one of the best experiences I ever had. It will be one of my favorite shows forever. Yeah. Hi there. Yeah, I know this interview is going really well, but before you skip ahead, just shuffle over to the show notes if you could and click on the link to the Patreon page for the title block. It does cost money to produce this time capsule of Canadian theater design history. And for a couple of bucks an episode, you can ensure that I can continue to put out great interviews with designers like Dana Osborne. Go to patreon.com slash the title block podcast and donate now. Thank you for your help. about your relationship with Donna Fiore? Oh, Donna. Well, Donna, actually, I met mostly on that Gigi because she was the choreographer on that. And uh, and again, uh, Donna uh, is um, it's a very athletic type of dance, very strong. And because I used to dance as a kid, I, I have an idea of what that movement needs to be. Um, so, and she wanted like this huge can-can number and it came out of nowhere and there was no budget and somehow we made it happen. So I was in the good books sort of thing because she could talk to me about that kind of stuff. And then I can't remember the first show I did with her. Maybe it was... Um, Let me check the magic oh, is list. It, is, was it Charlie Brown? I think it was Charlie Brown. Maybe it was Charlie Brown. Yeah. Yeah, she hired me for Charlie Brown and, uh, and it went really well. We just tried to... I mean, again, the Charlie Brown's hard. You're trying to make it kind of look like the show and not be the show and whatever it was. 
And then she hired me for Fiddler on the Roof. And I think that's really where we hit it off because it's Fiddler on the Roof. One of the best shows ever. (laughs) That was a remarkable show. I did see that show. Did you see that? That was the, then that one was the Scott Wentworth. Are you thinking about the Brent Carver? See, it's hard. The, when was the Brent Carver? Was that that was 2001. Or, oh, or something. no, no, no. Yeah. I'm talking about the 2013. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because I brought that. I brought my mother to see it. I'm a huge fan of Fiddler on the Roof. Oh, I love the the score. I saw it first. I saw the movie. Yeah. This is terrible. When I was in, <laughs> when I was an assistant here, I was terribly in love in 1998. And it was the first time I was ever in love with Aww. anybody. Like, I was just, and we were apart Mm-hmm. This was the marriage that didn't work out. Right. Later, okay. Right? Yeah. Making this is a full circle conversation we're having today. I'm sharing a lot more than I usually do, but uh, we were terribly, terribly in love. And I had, uh, I had been here and I was, uh, I was, uh, I was home one night and just lonely as hell. And somehow I'd gotten a hold of uh, some uh, pot. Which I don't smoke at all nowadays. I do not enjoy any of that stuff. But back then, you know, whatever, it comes into your possession. And I thought, I'm going to sit down and watch Fiddler on the Roof, which I've never seen. And I'm going to get really, really high and eat ice cream. And so I got my Chunky Monkey and and I was a mess. I was a mess. So watched the entire totally. Oh my god! It's like the first time I've ever seen love. It was. I was just the 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 movie was extraordinary. Mm-hmm. And and so when I went back to see the stage play, but my mother, um, who loves musical theater, to Stratford, and that was a remarkable production. I it was loved really everything yeah, about it. Super. It was super special. I also I did the show as a kid. It was my first musical theater show, and I played Hava, the daughter that takes off with the. Anyway, and so I, I just, that score, I just love that score. And it was Alan Moyer, who's a sort of a Broadway designer, came into this set. So it was really exciting to be around with him and, and to do it. Yeah. And I loved it. You know, Donna really, she, Donna is fierce. Like she grabs onto that musical and she does not let go until the very end. And, uh, so dedicated, so strong watching her do, she does this rehearsal with, the drummer in the room where she's putting all the, all the kicks and she just sits there with him while everyone's dancing and telling her where she wants the punctuation. Like someone who really looks at the musical, every section of it. So, uh, I total, I love her. She's pretty amazing. And so doing these, like I've learned a lot. Um, and I really appreciate her, her ability. She's yeah. Her, her um, email is force, and I always laugh because I'm like, yes, you are a force, <laughs> full on. Um, how, uh, somebody just turn my mic up here, sorry. Um, working in the Stratford and Shaw Machine, we've talked about this mm-hmm. before on the podcast about uh, the sort of choices you have to defer and the choices you have to make early. Um, in, a, in, a, in a, working in an environment, like it sounds like, um, with Donna Fiore, the, the, it sounds like there can be choices m- maybe made later or discovered later because you're working so intensely throughout the like from from start to finish. Yeah. How do you? How, I mean, it does. It seems to me like because you've worked in this environment, and this is where you started, that it, it seems natural that you you'd be comfortable um, trying to jump, make keep all those balls in the yeah. air while you manage the time. Um, has it been difficult? When do you, like what things do you find that you can't do that you wish you could? Um, and how do you approach, um, 
making those choices? Like, um, sometimes I'll flag them. Like if I know the other thing too, is they ask us to do it so early. Like they're asking me now to be working on next season and I'm not even, I haven't even opened the scripts. So, uh, I try and leave, uh, I try to be like, I think this is this, but this whole thing, let's leave this a bit loose or I, we over budget in this particular area. So then we've got some room to move once we get into those things. Also knowing it's Donna, I, and if some of these giant shows that we do now, um, sometimes I, I know I'm going to have to build the dancer costumes because they will not last 130 shows or whatever it is. Um, so in a way I have to start looking at using stock for leads early. What can I change? What can I, uh, move around. Um, and also uh, because I've been part of these machines for a while, I know the actors quite well in a way. So I'm sort of expecting some stuff that's going to come out or this and that, or, um, you know, when there's also things that some of these actors, when they show up, they've had their three months off and they've gone, um, south and they haven't worked out and they haven't. So their, their shape is very different. Their shape is coming back and I need to give them time so when they're up to physical shape again, because that was going to change the costume a lot, or at least, you know, we can get the costume to a point where it's not finished so we could take it in or, or whatever's going to happen. So, uh, but I think it's just, it's communication. Like, no, if you have an idea, something's going to explode in your face. Uh, and I really, I am like the person will go in and be like, I miss this. You know, I don't, I, I don't really want to point the blame at other people. There's no point. So I'm like, this is my shit storm and let's think it out. And sometimes people freak out and it will take time and, or, or you have to say no, you know, that happens too. But yeah, the more you can sort of look ahead. I'm that person that is always thinking like, if this happens, I'm going to do this. If this happens, I'm going to do this. Like, that's just how my brain works. I think it's from my mother. Yeah. Is there a special way that you organize yourself to, to, keep all those ideas straight eh, or is it just a no maybe that's notebook? why we were joking earlier about how I'm not really a podcast person because <laughs> I just like silence uh and maybe it's me sitting around trying to put those things together yeah they're just there firing all the time um um but yeah again I don't even paint the drawings until I buy the fabric right in a way oh, wow. because I I Somehow I I can, but when I go into a store and start buying the fabric, the palette just happens. Mm -hmm. And then obviously I think it's been in me already Mm -hmm. and it's there, but I, until I can start putting all the things together, um, there's no point in me pushing, pushing myself when we're not ready to go there. It's not really going to change what the cutter is going to do. And in a way, sometimes they like these black and white pencil drawings because then they can really see the seam lines that I'm drawing and we can talk about, okay, that could never happen. And um, let's change it here before it gets obscured by paint or whatever that is. And uh, let's talk about shopping. Mm -hmm. Um, Something that I don't like, but I can only imagine that you have to enjoy it when you're doing props or costumes. Yeah. Maybe even furniture and props for set design. Like that's something you have to enjoy, like rummaging through stuff and finding the perfect thing. Yeah. Um, how, uh, what is the shopping, like how, you have got a buyer obviously at, There's, at Stratford yeah, and Shaw. Yeah, both theaters have buyers, buyer departments yeah, that sort of do it. Departments of buyers. Um, of buyers. In yeah. Stratford, it's, it's great. There are two people that run the buying department. And uh, because of the volume of fabric, um, 
or or the materials needed. There's a lot of these uh, companies in the states that are all catalog companies. So oh. you go in and you pull out this company and all their silks, and then you order it that way. Mm-hmm. I also get to travel usually, depending on the size of the show, to New York every year, and I shop for a week all the fabrics there and send it back because it's actually more affordable right. and the choices are better. There's still Toronto, uh, but Toronto is getting smaller and smaller, same stuff. Yeah. Um, it was great being at Shaw this year and getting to make stuff because like, I got to see what they have, which is a total different thing. Both theaters have big rooms of just fabric. So it's like, you know, you just hang out there and put stuff together and have Incredible. a good time. So much fun. So yeah, much fun. That, yeah, it's such a remarkable... I mean, it's got to be different than any other place. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, and we, uh, we just found out this week that Designer Fabric is closing in <gasps> Toronto. I know. I was like, what morning do I have free? I know. They're selling everything at some sort of deep discount. And, yeah. But it's it's kind of the place to go. Yeah. I mean, there's obviously it is other for, places. Especially if you're doing some period stuff, like you're trying to do corsets mm. and you're wanting stuff that's a little stiffer. stiffer. Yeah. It's funny. I just gone there and dropped a bunch of cash on Ultra Suede and I'm like, I don't feel so guilty because <laughs> you're going to need it because nowhere else is going to have it. Right. So, yeah, I'm really interested to see what like Susie at Trendy is thinking about this because that is like... Her and Sheldon have been like sort of the big fabric blocks of downtown. So, but I, I could tell like it was a couple of months ago I went into DFO and I was looking around and I was like, why is there less stock? But then I went there like maybe three weeks ago and I was like, oh, their stock's back up. So I was like, okay. But I, someone had said, oh, this is Condo Central. Like yeah. they're looking. So maybe they just brought up all the stuff from the basement. Yeah, maybe. From yeah, from another place. That's crazy. Um, do you think that, uh, I mean, New York's always there and I guess what's the, like, like sending three or four people or two, three people to New York for a week is. Yeah. It depends when you go, like you want to go in January when it's the cheapest. And, uh, so usually the first or second week of January, the best time that last year they sent me in December, which was ridiculous. Like it, it just happened to be, I was finishing a panto and going to something else. So I had to do it. Um, but yeah, it's finding the right time and doing it. And you can do it. Like I would suggest if you're crazy and young and fun, like take the 630 flight, shop all day, stay one night, shop all day, and you can ship it from the FedEx on the corner of 40th and, you know, and then it's gone. Right. And then fly home. You can do it. You can do a one full day. Um, and the people there are fabulous. Like, um, But again, they are there on some of those streets because it's, it's mostly between um, – 7th and 8th between 40th and 35th but some of the those are being squeezed out because the restaurants get um restaurants want to move in and take those up so you're you are starting to lose vendors we used to have there you know they must be just moving into the bureaus yeah or into jersey totally. or something right? yeah brooklyn brooklyn anywhere. yeah yeah interesting okay that's great and um Perhaps we should start to transition into your process, mm-hmm. whatever that is. Yeah. We've talked about, again, um, uh, and this is the time on the program where I say we've talked about process before <laughs> and that we, you know, we know about, um, you know, script analysis and yeah. and uh, all those steps and director meetings and being in the room and all that stuff. But do you, what, what do you find any approaches that you use that are unique to you or that you, what's your favorite part of the process? Part. Usually, I mean, the first thing I, besides reading the script, is I just say to the director, is there anything in particular you're thinking about? And then I get to go in and, and put my images together and go to them. So usually they have like three things they're thinking about. 
I want black and white, I want or whatever it is. And then I kind of go away and really uh, the world of Google image search is our friend. I am not a Pinterester. Drives me nuts. I'm sure it would be really good. And I have tons of actors that come to me going, do you want me to link you to my Pinterest for this character? And I'm like, no, I can't. I mean, I want to support you, but I can't. But it's just a lot of image searching. Uh, I find also uh, when you when you are percolating, you start seeing what you want in the world. So in a world, just sort of wandering around, suddenly I'm like, I am doing stripes, and everyone has stripes in the stores. Like something is happening, um, that kind of thing. But uh, I, it's probably similar to everyone's process. I still uh, use mixed media paper. I still draw by hand. Um, I still, oh, the fridge is back. I'm going to turn off the <laughs> Yes, do it. It's dancing. It sounds like it's dancing. I think this is the fridge. He did it. Take that fridge. Just to fry some wine, she's gonna have to be a little bit, <laughs> a little bit warm. That's okay. There we go. Sorry, uh, mixed yeah, media. So still I still, I'm still drawing it. And Ken McDonald always is like, "Why are you not?" I taught Judith. I can teach you. No, I just there's something about I need the hand. Sometimes I am a procrastinator. I need pressure for it to spit yeah. out. I'm gonna pretend it's because I'm percolating my ideas, but no. Sometimes I need fire. Yeah. Um, uh, I like listening to sports mm-hmm. when I do it sometimes. Football season is always a good time to draw. Okay. I, d- I don't know what's happening, but it's noise. Um, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's an odd perk. I know. But interesting. Uh, but yeah, I think it's it's all that kind of thing. Um, also, I, I again, when I was younger, I was sort of self-conscious about my rendering style. Mm-hmm. And I think at some point someone just said to me, oh, it's just a tool to get you there. Mm-hmm. So I think once you could do that and, and be like, oh, it's totally cool, then you will start developing, especially after, you know, your 10,000 hours or whatever it is. And then you're like, oh, I can draw that and that doesn't suck. And even now I, I had to pull some crap out for a portfolio review and I was like, oh, those aren't bad. Why was I, why was I so anxious about it? I feel I'm like, not Christina Petubiak. Right, yes. Well, but no one is. No, really, no one should be. No She's one should be. so amazing. I uh I feel like to getting older, yes, older. Uh I feel like <laughs> yes. the the best thing about that is learning to not give a shit mm-hmm. about don't be precious. <laughs> like yeah. you're a communicator. Like you're just <coughs> like a designer is a communicator. <coughs> Excuse me. This is what you do for your living. You mm-hmm. make choices. Yeah. You synthesize information and, or sorry, you synthesize, just back, let me reverse that. You synthesize information, you make choices, you communicate those choices, and people are remarkably forgiving. Now, if you put your drawing up on stage, people are going to go, well, maybe you should have worked a bit more on that, but that's not what it's for. No, they'll never see it. It's no. just a start. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, I think that's, if you can kind of let go of that. Also, there's so many people now that just do collage or whatever yeah. it is, and it works. Yeah. It just works. It's just it's about the information getting across. So, um, yeah. And then I had I said earlier, I'm I'm the person that doesn't paint. I need to. I go and shop to build the palette usually, and then go from there. That seems like 
a bit of a lucky thing to be able to do. Yeah, I am completely lucky. Like, <laughs> I do not doubt. Like, I, I, I have, I have theaters paying me to shop. You know, so it's it's pretty great. Um, and in a way, I I'm one of those people that totally believes in the force. Like, I'm like, sure. <laughs> just the force is telling me to choose that fabric because it's sitting here and it's that thing. You know, and I really am more of an instinctual uh, designer than one that's going to come at you with a like too much research. I think there's a point, especially like when we did Rocky Horror this year, I was like, I I can, I didn't watch the movie. Like I made a point not watching the movie, um, so so I could be a little freer and not feel like I'm. And there's a lot of directors that are like, well, did you see this production and? Of something they want you to look at it and I was like you know what I'm not ready to look at it I can look at it later but I really don't want because I also uh I sometimes when you're making choices you can't quite tell where you've seen them I don't want to actively be like trying to copy someone uh so that's important to so keep it put some restriction I like some restriction around me while I'm creating yeah uh, one of the things that's been going on um, through the Designers Guild, every once in a while, someone will have a conversation. You know about the Designers mm-hmm. Guild on yeah. Facebook? Yeah. Um, there's a conversation uh, for those who are not part of the Designers Guild about copycat, about people recreating other people's designs, mm-hmm. especially coming from directors. I saw this thing. They did it this way in uh, this San Francisco production. We should do that here. Yeah. And uh, I've gone on a couple of rants about it. I've gone on rants on this show, actually, at the, in the preamble, so I won't rant too much. But... Um, how do you manage to, I mean, your job is to create something that's perfect for the show and yeah. make those choices and make your own choices. Um, has that ever been a problem? Do you like, how do you well, manage that? I mean, it's, let's say also this time when we did time in, I did the set as well. Right. So, and Lorenzo wasn't available to do it again. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, and, and also the director was sort of tied to that production. So it really was, I had to really be clear and say, I cannot, I am not doing Lorenzo's design. Mm-hmm. We can be inspired by Lorenzo. And I called Lorenzo too. And I said, let's talk. This is what I'm thinking for the show. I just want to make sure that you are cool with all these sort of things. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, again, he was totally like, yeah, all good. But I think, um, and I think also if someone points it out, being very aware that you've maybe accidentally taken it from something, because sometimes it just sits in your eye and you're making the exact same choice. Like even this year when I did Music Man, uh, I put a particular character in purple again and and then I was looking at the pictures and he had also put it in purple. And in my head I was like, did I just do purple because he did purple? Like, But sometimes these things need to repeat. It's your own version of it. Um, but yeah, just be aware, try and be aware of your sources. And if you're surprised that you have accidentally copied someone, own it, you know, and reach out if you can. But also directors, don't ask. Don't ask for the same thing. Just don't. (laughs) Note to directors out there, please. You want us to do something better. (coughs) That's why you hire a designer. Yeah. Uh, Okay, so set. was, Was King Harry the Fourth part one? I think that was probably my first Stratford set and my last Stratford set for a while. Oh, okay. Um, it was on the Patterson and it was... Which is a difficult space to work difficult in. Difficult space. Love and that theater. If you've never been there, it's like a long bowling alley. How yep. long is the deck? It's probably 60 feet long. Uh, I actually thought it was like 
36, but maybe no. it's 45. <laughs> it feels like yeah, it's it feels long. feet long. Yeah. Okay, but go on. And it used to have a back wall, right, right too? Yeah, yeah. And then now it was in the round. It's been the round for the last couple of years. So, um, and uh, Santa La Cuesta was doing the other show, and he had designed a metal staircase to go across it. And so you had to incorporate that into your design. So we did a lot of mixed metals with stuff. And it was good. It was a Manette pro- um, production. So um, Richard, um, who was so generous to me, sometimes uh, was not too interested in the design process. Oh, okay. Right. So he would sort of check out. Yeah. Um, and I had some difficulties with a few cast members on that show um, who were struggling. I can look at it that they were struggling because they were not feeling that they were, they weren't understanding where they, who they were as characters. And that can come at you. There's a lot of times when you're doing a show where you're getting costume notes and it's actually not about the costume. It's actually about the performance that the person's trying to get, you know, it just happens. So it was a pretty tough show. And it was also a time in the shop where I was a young woman doing a set in an old, theater shop and um there was a particular builder who was sort of rude to me at the time and that was tough so I didn't walk away from that experience being thrilled with it um but I uh but I think it you know looking back I'm like oh that looks pretty good Mm -hmm. and I get I was I was probably taking bigger risks than I do now just because now I'm like well let's do this but then you're just you're trying to push and, and do those things. And learning that things, some stuff that you're building is going to be way too heavy. Mm. Way too heavy. And making that, like, I'm like, oh, um, tube, uh, you know, tube steel, heavy, 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 heavy. Um, but, yeah, so that was Stratford. And then I started doing more in Toronto, I think, after that. I mean, there was some stuff in, oh, Can Stage. I did the park one year. So, yes, I have worked at Can Stage uh, with Kelly Thornton. And... Um, then it's kind of a trial by fire in Toronto. Like yeah. the park is a really interesting place to work. The park right? is pretty fun. Yeah. Pretty crazy. It was their first or second year of them having that set up with a Doug Parischek oh, right. um, design there. So yeah, it was good. Paul Shaw was, I think it was one of Paul mm. Shaw's last year. Yeah. Um, and uh, Note face yeah. made at my phone. <laughs> Uh, you worked at, Glo- at the Globe several t- for several times in a row at the beginning of the, like between 2009, 2011. Yes, that was... Uh, I'm trying to remember how I got to the Globe. I think Michael or David Latham, who I did Agamemnon with, brought me out there and I met them. And then they started inviting me to design sets there. So I started doing that consistently in sort of my off Stratford season. um, I like the Globe a lot. Very nice. Yeah. Ruth Smiley is a delight. It's great to, it's it's also, um, you know, it's a puzzle again. Like, how do you do it in the round there? And it's not a symmetrical. There's a symmetry in the space, but it's not down the middle. No, it's off. It's like a little lock and key, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, it's deceptively difficult. Yeah. to make choices. And you're doing plays that are definitely prost shows, right? right? Yeah, too like yeah, sexy yeah. laundry. I was like, uh, <laughs> stuff like that. So that was all good. And then I think, um, I think the grand started picking me up or something, which is great, and um, a little bit of YPT action. So, yeah, and suddenly all the regionals. Uh, yeah, I, I think I think the Grand is the one that really started getting me more regional set work. And then um and uh, and then Shaw, Shaw last year I did set and costume right out the bat for TC, which was great because it's really nice to be here and and that means your contract is super long. Super. Well, 
If you're on the last slot, it's very long. <laughs> Michael Gianfrancesco did warn me. He was like, this is a long slot. <laughs> but I'm trying to eat a lot of gelato and be patient. There is a new gelato place in town. Have you been to the I walked yellow past it one? and went, oh, it's not much gelato. Oh, yeah. Uh, so I haven't eaten it yet, but... Oh. I'm, you know, I'm in Niagara Falls all week, so I'll just <laughs> on my way. Yep. Uh, so, are you a i are you a renderer for sets? Are you a model builder for sets? What I'm a model builder for sets. I really sort of rather get in there and then draft it afterwards. Yeah. Um, I just, yeah, it's better sense of of awareness for me. Um, it's so funny cause right now I'm trying to just build a basic model box. Cause usually I just hire someone to do that part so I can start playing. And I forgot how hard <laughs> building a model box is. I was like, Oh my God, I just, it's just four walls in a front and I, it's killing me. It has to be specific. You can't, oh, you're not designing a theater. I know, you can't just recreating. jam some boxes in there. Well, they have an assistant here for you at uh shop. They do. Um, Hannah Luzen, uh, mm-hmm. but she's, uh, she's just doing all the other stuff. And I think she's so busy with Sherlock that I, don't oh. have to be like, hey, do you want to do some side work? For yeah. Me? yeah. Oh, can you tell me about um, so uh, the conversation I had with uh, Jamie Nesbitt about Rocky Horror? Yeah. Uh, and about integrating projections in with the set and lights and costumes. Um, he was talking about how you guys chose palettes. Yeah. Uh, certainly working with Michael before, too. Um, sometimes Michael and I just sit down. Uh, Sometimes as a costume designer, you just have to suck it up because by the time the set is designed, they're like, this is your thing. Try and have your costume seen on it. Um, So I, um, but Michael, because we are also, he's one of my best friends, we will sit down and put some colors out and start to pick palettes. And and then usually I just have to change the tone. Like if if he does a cool, I'm going to do a little warmer so it pops and stuff like that. Uh, and certainly for Rocky, Rocky was a really interesting experience because at the end of it, we all were like, this really looks like one show. So there had to be something in there in what research we were, we were sending. And certainly Michael and Jamie had a really tight relationship. Also Walton too, right? Um, the Michaels and all that. Uh, uh, so for me, I mean, uh, I didn't have a lot to do with the projections, but I didn't in one sense in the, is that some of the stuff... Jamie wanted to have like Dan's hands coming and Frankenfurter's hands coming in and stuff. So I would do these makeup shoots and we'd photograph it. And so he could do it all that putting those people into the show. So it was, that was the first time I really had to do, I did a little bit of that with uh, Nick Bottomley on possible worlds too, but that was the first time we were really trying to do some film stuff. And we're actually having to do a bit of that on Sherlock too. So it is, it's pushing to have your costume set a little earlier you know, and hopefully you're not going to have something that's so different that you need to reshoot. Um, but yeah. And again, I, I was with Michael, we were both doing both shows and they were so different. Like there's, um, there's one of my favorite photos I have is like the fitting room and half of it is Rocky Horror and the other half is Music Man. And it looks so different. Um, but we had, we had a really good time on that show. I, maybe because it's so short. It's so short. Yeah. It's awesome. And it, uh, again... There's not many changes in it either with Rocky. Like no, everyone I, never, I, I sort of gave him a couple extra changes. Nice. Just 
<laughs> just to give him something to just do. Just because I could. Yeah. Uh, and it's funny. There is some review for it. And I usually don't read reviews, but Rocky was so fun. I kind of read a few. And there was one where they complained about how I gave Dan too many looks. <laughs> and I was like, I, I hear you. Because I think with Rocky too, my main concern was, is this gritty enough? And and that was a question I asked a couple of people. I was like, is this too Disney? Like, is it too pretty? Because it is easy nowadays with all, you know, the drag race and all, all that kind of stuff for the art aesthetic has changed and it's sort of lacking that under thing. So I'm, you know, I'm not sure it's perfect for me either. I probably should spray everything with blood a couple of times and more mud, but, um, it is what it is. And there's so much, um, sequin work and reflection in it that it really helps with all the, with the projections and the light. There's a lot of reflection. So, um, yeah. Shauna saw it. You haven't seen it yet. I know. I was supposed to see it, and then I, I had I don't know. I'm in school. I got <laughs> things got to real do. Life, man. Real I got life. things to study and places to be yeah. and livers to palpate and <laughs> all those things. Uh, hopefully not to palpate. You yeah. shouldn't be able to kill <laughs> your liver if you do. Go see your doctor. Um, uh, so Mike, my my iPad is shut down. So that's fine. There you go. Um, what do you want to do? With that, the rest of my with life. With the rest of your life. What do you want to do? Like, what's a challenge that you feel like you want to face that you... Uh, have you thought about that? Or is it just the, because of the nature of the business, you're like, what's my next contract? Uh, you know what? I think, uh, I think both, right? There is like where... Because you are uh, currently in my career, I'm booking the year ahead. Yeah. So I'm trying to plan my life and my family's life. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Um, but I am at that stage too, where because I do have consistent work at the festivals, which may like I've gone through a couple artistic directors at Stratford, so it's probably time that I'm not there mm-hmm. sooner or later. So I'm kind of prepping for the release. So part of it was, do I go back to school? Mm-hmm. Am I interested in teaching? Can I afford to go back to school? Mm-hmm. Um, because, um, but ideally, I would really like to get into some dance work. Yeah. Um, I'd love to do some ballet. I'd love to, again, first love. So I would love to get back to that. And I do like opera. Like, um, so I'm sort of split. I'm like, I want to push higher and maybe try and get some international gigs at some point. Not quite sure how that's going to happen. Um, uh, or will I teach in the end? And I think the thing with teaching is I, I don't have an MFA. And so I've gone and seen all the schools in Canada and talked to the people. And uh, the only one, York seems to be the only one that is flexible for me. So it would just be a question of really, you know, pulling the cord and doing that and maybe doing it in a part-time basis because I can't actually, I think the problem is now, as I've done everything wrong, I should have just gotten my MFA immediately. Uh, I should have gone into independent theater and worked my way up. So I was coming to Stratford in my forties and my fifties, not in my, not at 29 or whatever. I started designing there. Um, the problem is now is if I drop out for three years to go get a degree, yeah. I will drop out. Yeah. Like I, can't, uh, so yeah, so I'm a bit of, it's a bit of a pickle. So right now I'm just riding the contract wave. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, things things will change it is kind of remarkable in theater how people disappear or we feel like people disappear Mm -hmm. so quickly and uh 
you can't take a year off or two years off to go do something different. If it's uh, if it's something in theater, like you're doing some sort of project, that then at the end of the year you go, ta-da, there's a project. I guess it's a different thing. But yeah. um, uh, it is kind of remarkable how fickle and instant yeah. the business is. Yeah, because eh? I do think that the opportunity of a sabbatical I certainly find these days where I'm like, I would just give me three months, Mm -hmm. three months where it's okay and I can do it. Because I think when you carve some time uh, for yourself, it gets sucked into your studio time. Mm -hmm. And that can be, that can be tough. Artist development is not something we do very well here, No, no. And everyone else has the funding for it. Like there's artist development for directors and all that stuff, but I don't. I don't really see it for designers, except for these assistant designer positions, but you're working your tits off. Yeah. You know, you're going hardcore all the time. So um, you're not really getting the time to breathe. Just to sit. I would love the opportunity for some shows to, to redo the show, mm-hmm. to make changes instead of just getting it to opening night, mm-hmm. especially on productions that are long, because they don't really redo them again. But every once in a while, you're like, if I could just redo that dress. Or if I could just paint that wall a different color, you know, um, where, you know, someone like, you know, Robert Lepage or these companies where they get to workshop and workshop and they really get to, to get to that. So it would be wonderful to figure out when we can start being able to afford to workshop our shows and with production values. Because when you see some stuff, um, at the national theater or whatever, like, I don't know if you saw people places things. Mm -hmm. So good but um again going into a few shows where you're like they had time they really had time i can tell that everyone was in the room they really reworked it and worked it and worked it and i think we need to start somehow getting back to that whether it's even on a small scale or a big scale you know uh, it is odd that like maybe i think you're right i think we need to start there has to be a grant for artist development, for for design, and uh, um, not mixed media, sorry, but just designers. Yeah, I wonder how that looks like. I, like I, I was thinking, like how, like a playwright will go away and write a play, yeah. or not. Yeah. Like, what's the product of the end of that? Yeah, I think you could, if you thing? could be like, I'm just gonna study a certain period. Yeah. That's not you know, it doesn't. I'm gonna go to that's the thing. London and go to the portrait yeah, gallery. Yeah, portrait the, gallery. Yeah. That would be great, yeah. you know, those sort of things. Because, I, I, you know, the one we're all shooting for is the Seminovich, and sure. only one person gets that, you know, they can't take us all with them. Yeah. And by that point, you're, what, paying off your mortgage maybe? Or yeah. getting a mortgage for the first yeah, time. Yeah, all that stuff. Damien Atkins and I were talking about the other day, and he completely thinks I'm lying. But I do think some of it is, you know, a mixture of talent, right place, right time, and... Um, and just being lucky or yeah. whatever it is. And he was like, no, I think it's being able to seize on opportunity. That sort of was his thought on it. But me, I was like, well, you know, there are a lot of talented designers out there that, um, so this is just the lot that I, I got. Yeah. I feel like, uh, I feel like people, there's a bit of a bias because the people who don't make it, we never see again. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, th- like I'm thinking of the people who I went to school with as well. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I know a few of them are still working in the business. The people who are still working in the business tended to go into corporate 
giant rock and roll or, um, or working for the city. Yeah. Like doing, yeah. doing commercial work or doing, uh, you know, production work for the city. And some of it was uh, like, if your if your parents could help you out. Yeah. Because it was those moments in between where you were really stuck. Yeah. Uh, and we were, we had maybe a little more flexible EI at the point too, but like if you were totally stuck and that's, I, that was always a sense of the super shitty side is that that's why sometimes you got people that were, that were really from elite families because mm-hmm. they could afford to not work. Right. It's interesting. Be available. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. I know that Kevin Lamont had and I had a conversation. I'm not sure because he and and I spoke in the very on the very second episode of the second collection, like episodes three and four of the title block. And I think um, I don't know if we actually got to that point then, but one of the things that we had spoken about before that was this kind of silver spoon designers, like the people who in the '70s and '80s mm-hmm. uh, who uh, had came from families who supported them could get through the lean years and could do three or four things over six months and yeah. stay in the business until things got better. Uh, but you know, back even, I mean, back then people were getting paid even less. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you, you can't you still like, you need that support in order to do this, which is kind of shitty. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Like, it, it, Cause it really breathes elite theater. Yeah. Um, and even like, uh, Ontario is so much easier I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I was in uh, Vancouver a couple of weeks ago and I met a, a young designer there. Um, not really young, actually. We're the same age. But we were discussing like how, mu- how many gigs you needed to do. Yeah. Yeah. And she was like, you know, t- 10. And I was like, oh my, like, I can't do 10 no. in a year. No. Certainly can't. Um, Only letting designers can do 10 in a year. And yeah, then we right? do 15 or 20. Totally. And uh, and that's a, that's a lot of work. Yeah, that was the one thing at, at school is... Uh, I wanted, I wish that they were more open about how much money you could make, mm-hmm. right? Not that I would have changed a lot of our opinions because we didn't really know what that money was anyway. But the fact that being a successful designer means maybe you're making 40 plus, yeah. you know, after all the write-offs and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause I think, you know, there is a real misconception about the, the kind of money you're raking in. Um, uh, certainly you can live, but it's not, you are not doing it for the money. Yeah. yeah. Uh, again, another theme on the program, mm-hmm. uh, sadly. And I don't want to end on that point where, yeah. <laughs> because every time we get to this point, in the, you know, at the, at the three quarters or, you know, three fifths of the four fifths of the way through, I'm like, Oh my God. Why are people doing theater anymore? How yeah. do we people like? Why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? Uh, because I go to Stratford and see Guys and Dolls, a play with which I have very little affinity, and go, <laughs> God, that's misogynist. Oh my God, that language. Oh, how do they treat that person? And then go, Holy shit! Did you see? Sit down, rock on the boat. <laughs> that was the most phenomenal piece of theater I've ever seen in a, yeah. so, such a long time. Um, and you're up on your feet clapping going, God, why, why am I not doing this right now? Because yep. I'm doing 17 other things. And I'm sure Rocky Horror is the same way. Totally. Uh, or, or even work. Uh, uh, and it's not, it's not necessarily the spectacle. It's about the work, right? It doesn't have to be um, the million-dollar production at Stratford. It can be the storefronts. Totally. Or, or the, um, what is uh, Ted Dykstra's company? Uh, coal, coal mine. mine. Coal yeah, mine. For like sure. sitting three feet away from coal, um, from, um, uh, I'm not Comfure. Uh, Robert Juan Kjorn oh, yeah, or Robert Persichini yeah. and having them act their face off for you three feet away and go, this is the most excellent thing totally. I've ever done in my work. Yeah. 
like um that's why we do it and i think that that's important and i think the money you know you have to be able to pay we should pay our artists more we mm-hmm. should increase fees with that jamie nesbitt on the last uh, on the last interview that's the one thing that he was trying to push and i agree with it and um but gosh it's fun yeah, and it is fun. There are the, it's a, such a moment of high, like on a really good tech dress when, because also I always find tech dresses are successful because the actors are also like, they're a little high on getting dressed and putting their stuff yeah. on and everyone's really racing around and, yeah. and it's awesome. It can be really awesome. Um, uh, yeah, there's so many things about the business too that, that need work, um, but it still sucks me back in every time, right? Like, I love it. I really do love it. Yeah. Every once in a while, I'm like, I'm going to go back to management. And then I'm like, I don't really know if I could do it. Right. Yeah. yeah. I might have to do it. There might be a time where I have to. But um, right now, this is good. This is really good. Well, that's delightful. I think that we'll just leave it there. There we go. On a happy note. On a happy note. Uh, so thank you very much. Thank you. That was set and costume designer Dana Osborne talking to me from Niagara on the Lake in July of 2018. Next time, an interview with designer Glenn Davidson. You do not want to miss this one. The music for this podcast is by Vern Good with voiceover by Gabriel Cropley. Please go to Apple Podcasts and give us a review. It'll help get the word out about this podcast and share the history of theater design in Canada. And you can follow us on Twitter at the Tuttleblock CA and on Facebook.com slash the Tuttleblock Podcast. You can send comments and requests by email to the Tuttleblock at gmail.com. And don't forget that if you like the show, please support us on Patreon.com. Feel free to share this with your friends, colleagues, students, or teachers, or listen to it while you muse over how hard it really is to build that damn model box. Where's my assistant? I'm Michael Cruz, and I'll see you next time on The Title Block. Did you see stuff in New York? Oh, my God. What did you see? I saw Boys in the Band. Oh. Which was fucking great. Was it great? It was, uh, I love the movie. Okay. Because of its, because uh, it's so dark. Yeah. And yes, it's a comedy for the boot. The first third, you're like, oh, that's funny. But uh, the last two thirds are like descend into this dark self-hating, like, ah, which I love. The stage play with a bunch of people in the room is much funnier yeah. than I thought. But they weren't playing it up. They were really just playing it straight, so oh, to speak. Great. And, um, and it's almost, the, the film was adapted from the play almost word for word. There's right. the, the endings are a bit different, but... Um, so it wasn't, I didn't, there was nothing surprising, but it was wonderfully acted. Oh, good. Um, uh, excuse me, Jim Parsons. Mm-hmm. It was fucking great. And, uh, what's his name? Quinto was great as oh, well. Oh, was he too? Oh. Now he, it's funny. I don't know how bullish the script is on it. The characters it portrays, like so-and-so is a, this type of person and, is written and played this way because in the movie, the Quinto character is a very growly old queen, and Quinto played him much the same way mm. as the movie 
In fact, I thought the guy in the movie was way more successful. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, but also because the guy in the movie was also, first of all, it was film, so you could get right up close, was not a remarkably attractive gentleman. And he's not supposed to be. And Quinto. And Quinto is a bit of a remarkably attractive gentleman, yep. right? So, you know, in a theater, you can get away with that. On film, you can't. So um, there was a lot more pathos, I think, in the film character. Right. But it's not unfair. It's unfair for me to compare him to that. But I just, I do that because it was so remarkably played very similar. So I wonder yeah. if they were given notes by someone who loved what the, the particular, movie. Yeah. yeah. It's, it, I'm sure it would be hard to follow a film like that. Yeah. So, but it was enjoyable. It was a room full of old bears. And uh, we, it, it was very funny. And the ending was so touching. And, um, it was great. And we saw Sleep No More. <gasps> Which is super fun. Fuck. But like, great. But it's, I feel like I'm in a Hinton play. I'm just like running around. What the fuck is going on? Yeah. I went with Arwen. Arwen has seen it 11 times. Has she really? She has seen it 11 Does she know where everyone's going times. now? She, we, we, we sat beforehand, we sat in a, um, we went out to, uh, to dinner. She's like, okay, so you're going to find yourself in the middle of the bucket of a, of a rave. You'll know. You'll know it's a rave. I'm like, how do we know it's a rave? You'll know it's a rave. Make sure to follow this character out of the rave. Now, I had forgotten which character it was. I never made it to the rave. Is the rave awesome? It's a full-on fucking bacchanalia. Wow. With naked, strobe light, blood, babies. It's the um, Not a Woman Born Witch Yeah, Witch I totally so missed that. It's a, it's, it's tucked into a long corridor on, this, on the fourth floor that okay. you don't get to unless you're like, what is that noise? Which is the first time I was like... Behind this wall, there is a rave. How can I find the rave? Oh my God, it's a dark hallway with a flickering strobe light at the end of it. That looks frightening. Let's go down there. Um, and uh, anyways, it's, it's, it's built in a bar that is, this, is built, is the same footprint and design as the main bar you go into. Oh, So you okay. sort of go. Yeah, when you walk in, you're like, yeah. What the fuck? But it's sort of like the, like the dirty, grungy version of it. And uh, are you going to see it again? Oh, now that I'm realizing all this shit I missed. Go see the rave. Yeah. Uh, at one point, one of the tables turns into the like, and you know, it's a baptismal font. Oh and in it is like a bloody baby that they then present to like, like the Scottish king and, uh, and then get naked. And then the uh, male dancer is, uh, is naked and there's fucking blood everywhere and I'm like do I have blood on me what's going on <laughs> I got in the way twice <laughs> I had like the bald witch like push me out of the way like oh fuck I'm sorry I'm really sorry and um, and then she picks up this blood and goes and then you're supposed to follow you're supposed to follow the male witch out because if you follow him out and they all kind of scatter like yeah. cockroaches at the end of the thing and uh, he scatters and if you follow him uh, you get to help him towel off and get ready. Right. For well, I was in hers when she was getting toweled off. Right. And there was like all these people trying to help her. And I was like, this is weird. What is going on? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it is remarkable. So I, that was, it was great. Yeah. That's, I, it's, you have to do it. Like my kid has never done it, but she wears the masks and run around the house. Right. So every time I, you know, I joke cause sooner or later I'm like, Oh, there's a sleep no more mask. It's just, yeah, it was great. So well done. It was so great. Uh, and then we saw uh, Mean Girls. Oh, okay. Which I was very skeptical about. Don't, I didn't see the movie. Yeah, I didn't see the movie, so I can't say. Like what? And Tina Fey, 
I am a fan of Tina Fey's comedy. Mm-hmm. I think she's very funny and smart, and I love where she comes from. Her interview on the David Letterman interview show, yeah. the new one, is great. And so uh, I was like, ah, what are we going to see? And then I saw the Tonys, and I saw their number in the Tonys, and I was like, hold on a second. <laughs> that was a great mean number. Girls. I'm going to go to Mean Girls. I think we should try this out. I like the main character. I like the, like, you know, the kind of high school kind of chubby gay yeah. Lee. I'm like, oh, look, me on stage right now singing music theater. <laughs> That's what I did in high school. And uh, so I think we should go see that. The Tony number was not the best number in the musical. Oh, well, there are that's six good. or seven other better numbers wow. that blew the fucking doors off the place. The music is extraordinary. The band is extraordinary. Every one of the leads can belt beyond the yeah. walls. Um, the story is great. Uh, the design is a giant video wall. Uh, yeah. Whatever. But it has some surprising, wonderful moments in it. Like it was built for the like it's yeah. this, if you're gonna do it this is the show you should do it for yeah and I was in just unbelievable tears by the end of the fucking end of the show oh well that's good like several it's a great times sign. it was so emotionally like the music was so powerful emotionally powerful yeah. just from its like just in the talent of the delivery and yeah. the messages and the end the core message of the thing was great like I was I was fucking blown away. Totally, totally well, worth go. it. I'll so be in there in January, so I'm like always like, what am I going to see? 